Do you ever feel like you should have it all together all the time? Um, do you feel like you should always be friendly and fun and interesting? Do you feel like you should always be fit and fashionable? Uh, that you should always be successful in your work, always climbing the ladder? Do you feel like your car should always be vacuumed? <laughs> do, you think, do you feel like your bathroom sink should be free of the little tooth, toothpaste spit-ups? Um, do you feel like you should not have any gray hair, any new wrinkles, no sunspots, and no bald spot? Um, do you feel like you should always be living in a big or newly renovated house? Do you feel like you should have successful and charming children who excel in above-average ways in athletics? Uh, I feel like I live in a culture where um, I'm supposed to have it all together all the time. And uh, I should be happy and I should be healthy. And if I'm not, I should fake it, bury it, get counseling for it, solve it, self-help book it. And so, um, Thankfully, we serve a God, worship a God, try to know a God who doesn't think that way about how we should be functioning. And uh, what we're going to talk about today gives us an opportunity to be something other than fit and fabulous all the time. So um, I love that uh, yesterday we went to Jericho Beach, we went to the Vancouver Folk Festival, and um, I went and checked the tides in advance, and I realized that, that the idea of the tides is such a beautiful metaphor for the way that we live with God. Um, the idea that there are low lows, and there are high highs, and there is everything in between. So like the poem that we're going to read today in the Bible, um, I throw that metaphor to you as well, to live your life like the tides. Um, so here we are in Psalm, it's 130. You've, um, if you've come the last few weeks, you know that we've been talking about these songs of ascent, which is an idea of like a pilgrim walking, singing song that the Jewish people would have done on a regular basis in their lives. Um, they look at this as sort of like an uphill climb experience for them, um, and that there would be lots of lyrics in this that have metaphors to them. So we're going to look at this, and then we're going to use it as an example of a way to pray. Um, sorry, I just want to grab my little prop here. Do you remember these? You got these in the spring, right? Um, so each one, if you don't have these, I don't know if we have extras in week. Oh, amazing. Okay, so Suzanne has them on the table at the back there if you want to grab a handful of these. Each one is different. And these were examples of ways to pray and giving you a bit of a format. So sometimes structure is good. Um, and uh, I have been loving these in the spring and in the early part of the summer now. So I'm going to throw another one into the mix without a pretty little card. But um, another structure for how you might pray. So um, we're going to read this together. I'm using the version from the message for all the talking that we do today. Here we go. Oh, when I say read this together, I thought I would just read it out loud. You don't have to do anything. <laughs> uh, help, God. The bottom has fallen out of my life. Master, hear my cry for help. Listen hard. Open your ears. Listen to my cries for mercy. If you, God, kept a record of wrongdoings, who would stand a chance? As it turns out, forgiveness is your habit, and that's why you're worshipped. I pray to God, my life a prayer, and wait for what he'll say and do. My life's on the line before God, 
my Lord, waiting and watching till morning. Waiting and watching till morning. Oh Israel, wait and watch for God. With God's arrival comes love. With God's arrival comes generous redemption. No doubt about it, he'll redeem Israel and buy back Israel from captivity to sin. So I love this psalm. I think it's simple and beautiful, and I like the metaphors in it. Um, And I think that there are three main ideas that it kind of boils down to. The first part says help. Uh, The second part says sorry. And the third part says hope. Um, So we're going to look at each one of those three things. Um, This poem also, like I've already referenced, doesn't follow our cultural trends. There are highs and lows, and there's a real acknowledgement of some things that we like to pretend aren't going on sometimes right now, I think. So the first one is help. Um, The bottom has fallen out of my life. And so I have an example. So sorry, those are my three main ideas. I have an example from a book that I've talked about before when I've got to teach you, which is Anne Lamott's book called... Uh, Help, Thanks, Wow. If you haven't read it, it's quite wonderful. Um, I see some nods, which is cool. Um, And in her, um, this is one of the prayers that she has in the help section. And I thought I would read it just to give you another person's experience of how they pray. Uh, We're a vulnerable species, and all I can do is pray help. When I pray, which I do many times a day, I pray for a lot of things. I ask for health and happiness for my friends and for their children. That's okay to do, to ask God to help them to have a sense of peace and for them to feel the love of God. I pray for our leaders to act in the common good, or at least the common slightly better. I pray that aid and comfort be rushed to people after catastrophes, natural and man-made. It's also okay to ask that my cat have an easy death. Some of my friends' kids are broken, and the kids' parents are living in that, and other friends' marriages are broken, And every family I love has serious problems involving someone's health or finances. But we can be big in prayer and trust that God won't mind if we pray about the cat and Jax's tender heart. That was a reference earlier in the text. Um, Is God going to say, sorry, we don't have enough for the cat? I don't think so. I know even as I pray for help that there will be tremendous compassion, mercy, generosity, companionship, and laughter from other people in the world and from friends, doctors, nurses, hospice people. I also know that life can be devastating and it's still okay to be pissed off at God. Mercy, mercy. I always want the kid to live. I can picture God saying, okay, hon, I'll be here when you're done with your list. And then he goes back to knitting new forests or helping less pissy people until I hit rock bottom. And when I finally do, there is hope. There's freedom in hitting bottom, in seeing that you won't be able to save or rescue your daughter, her spouse, his parents, or your career, relief in admitting that you've reached the place of great unknowing. And this is where restoration can begin. Because when you're still in the state of trying to fix the unfixable, everything bad is engaged the chatter of your mind, the tension of your physiology, all the trunks and wheels on, wheel-ons you carry from the past. It's exhausting and crazy-making. I just love her writing. I think it's so great. I hope that you appreciate some of the honesty in there. Um, And I think, would it be fair to say that when we talk about praying and asking for help that we feel pretty familiar with that type of praying? 
I feel like I do it a lot. You do too, excuse me. Okay, so then this is a kind of prayer that you're familiar with, right? It's often where we start. I think when I was a kid, I was taught to start somewhere else with a slightly more pious point of view, but often now I just start with my blah, help. This is how I feel. And I think that's fine. Um, so uh, I'm going to stop and we're going to actually pray right now. And you get a couple of minutes to pray on your own for the things you feel like you need help with. Um, my little list will probably include um, help. I have too much conflict with one son, not so much with the others. Help. I didn't think my life would go in this direction. Help. I don't like this part of me. Um, so... Uh, since we don't have to keep ourselves together all the time in front of God, we can pray honestly to him. Um, sometimes in my house when I pray, I cry, I shake, I hit my pillow, and I ask for help. So for right now, could you take a moment um, to close your eyes and to pray for what you feel like is right on the surface for you that you need help with for yourself or for someone you know or for the people that are outside of us that we know about. I'm gonna cut your time short, but hopefully you got to say a few things. So that's the first part of the Psalm, asking God to listen hard to us, to open his ears to us. Um, these are good things. The second section is about um, being sorry. I, can't, I don't think I have an image, I can't remember. No. Um, so I just love the translation here. Let's read this bit again. Um, if you, God, kept records on wrongdoings, who would stand a chance? As it turns out, forgiveness is your habit, and that's why you're worshiped. The old translation on the NIV is, and that's why you're feared. Again, a good word, but for some of us, puts a little fear into us about why should we be afraid. Um, but the idea of respecting God, he is holy. And um, I think that another part of the way that our culture says we should have it all together all the time is that we've forgotten that even though, yes, we are loved and redeemed, we are also screwing up regularly and that those things have to be acknowledged and, um, uh, and so sometimes we need to say sorry to God, we need to repent, we need to um, ask for forgiveness. And so um, this idea of repentance, I like this word a lot. So here's another book that I took a quote from. It's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's Eugene Peterson, um, and I will read it to you. Repentance is not an emotion. It's not a feeling sorry for your sins. It's a decision. It's deciding that you're wrong in thinking that you had or could get the strength, the education, the training to make it on your own. It's deciding that you've been told a pack of lies about yourself and your neighbors and your world. And it's deciding that God in Jesus Christ is telling you the truth. Repentance is a realization that what God wants from you and you want from God are not going to be achieved by doing the same old things and thinking the same old thoughts. Repentance is a feet on the ground kind of word. It puts us in touch with the reality that God creates. 
So this poem invites us into the immediate experience. It's quite direct. I find it difficult to fake it when I pray in these situations. It's hard to keep up with the Kardashians when we pray help and I'm sorry. So what's also interesting though is that this section of the, or sorry, this part of the Bible is written before Jesus Christ. And so like these are super Jesus-y ideas in my mind. Do you know what I mean? They don't, these aren't words that connect to like a stoic rule following old God. So I find that really interesting, and so it's, inter- it's neat to see how um, forgiveness is already God's habit, even before he sends Jesus Christ to redeem us. So, um, with no records kept, I imagine God as a very capable Google Analytics interpreter, but apparently he doesn't bother to look at the data. Uh, He's not interested in that sort of thing. I would totally have, and I think it would be neat to see an infographic of how often I sin in certain areas. My repeat offenses would be interesting to look at. Apparently that's not that important. I actually do go back to God with the same kinds of stories more than once. Um, I did it again. I was triggered by that again. I'm still thinking that way. Um, But there is always uh, an outpouring of grace and a desire to receive those things from us by God who sits on the throne. And so I'm gonna ask us to practice that for just a couple of minutes. Um, If you visualize things, maybe you've done one that I do, which is I can see Um, the throne of God and I can see his feet but I can't really see up further it's just the limits of my imagination I think or the idea that it's so bright and I can't look or something Um, but I take my things that I'm uh, ashamed of and I put them at his feet and I ask him to hold on to them even though I know I'll take them again and I cry more now that I'm older so sorry I don't think I cried so much when I was young. Okay, so um, could you please take a moment to pray um, this idea of making a decision to repent on something. If you can't think of anything at all, that's fine. If you can, you can pray. Let's do that. Holy God, we give you our shame, our mistakes, our stubbornness and leave it with you and ask you would walk with us. Amen. Um, In the final section of the poem, there's a lot of hope. Um, Beyond our individual experiences, this prayer also speaks to the Jewish people as a whole um, and I think invites us to pray with and for the Jews. Um, I also think that might mean other oppressed people that you have a heart for. Um, This little book, which is Walter Brueggemann, um, is called Praying the Psalms, and uh, he says this in it. To pray means to stay as long as the poem does, at the raw edge, with a live God, who will not let us settle easily or for too long, for ourselves or for others. 
And so again, we say help for maybe for other people for praying. Um, and we say sorry again for those situations that need help on their behalf. And then we hope in God. In hope, we watch for change. We wait for redemption. And we wait for something good or something new. So there's another um, book I wanted to quote from by Ray Johnstone. He's a pastor in California. He's written a few books. One's called The Hope Quotient. Um, I read it. There's, I think, like some bullets. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, uh, Ray Johnstone um, wrote this book, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago, and I read it about a year and a half ago. I just thought it was the best thing since sliced bread. Um, He takes some time to say, you know, we've got lots of passages in the Bible, and in particularly one in Romans, that says what's super important, what are the essentials in being a human? Faith and hope and love. And in faith, I think we cover that ground a lot in the church. And in love, we cover a lot of ground with that in the church and in the world. I feel like everybody's talking about love lately. Um, But I don't know how much anybody's talking about hope. Um, So I recommend this read if you're interested in it. But, you know, these are some of Ray's ideas that hope liberates, that it unleashes compassion, uh, that it encourages people, that it motivates us, that it helps people to attempt new things, that it motivates people to find new strength, and that it propels people forward even when it seems impossible. So we have this metaphor in Psalm 130 about this idea of waiting and watching till morning. Um, you know, you can explore that metaphor a little bit. Uh, the idea that we are pretty sure the morning will come. So there's a, a sense of hopefulness in that it's going to happen, but how long is it going to take? How unsettled is it going to feel? It's interesting. I think one of the best tools for hoping is to use our imaginations. So I'm going to give you an example of that from my own life. Um, uh, If you know my husband, Rob, he is uh, working on his CPA. Has anybody written the CFE exam here? It's a CPA exam. There's a few of us. Oh, cool. Did you study a lot? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Good for you. (laughs) Um, So... um, so yeah, so Rob has been going, he went back to school a couple years ago and he's been working really hard. And he um, works full time and also studies and he will write the CFE exam in the beginning of September. So we're like so close to getting this done. Um, but always in, throughout the process, which has been I think about four years long now with all of the school and the original vision of this being the thing he was gonna work towards, um, Uh, I have uh, found hope in going into my imagination and planning the party. (laughs) So all the time when I am parenting solo again um, or uh, doing life without him, like he studied so much this spring that on the baseball field other parents were like, oh, who's that guy? (laughs) Which is the worst feeling. and when he is um, sitting at the kitchen table and concentrating and there are children like 
wrestling and running around him. I don't know how he does that. Um, and when he is tired, I go back to my imagination and I plan a party. I have chosen the Evites. I have a list of all of the people that will be invited. I have written the text in the little email that says, we have got to celebrate. <sighs> so, um, that's the way I sort of plan and hope towards it and see that I can get through this. Um, we're going to have a big party. You are welcome to come um, and celebrate. So I think our imaginations do a good job for us. Maybe your situation that you need hope for is more serious than my example, but um, I think that our imaginations can really help us in feeling hopeful. Uh, let me read to you, please, a couple of other verses in other sections of the Bible that I just love. And when I read these, I get excited, and I feel good, and I feel hopeful. So once here from Romans, uh, I'm going to jump halfway down the page, if that's okay. And Isaiah's word, you see that? Um, and Isaiah's word, there's the root of our ancestor Jesse, breaking through earth and growing tree tall, tall enough for everyone everywhere to see and take hope. Oh, may the God of green hope fill you up with joy, fill you up with peace, so that your believing lives, filled with the life-giving energy of the Holy Spirit, will brim over with hope. And another one in First uh, Corinthians, Oh, maybe one more? Yeah, awesome, thank you. So this, you know, you might be familiar, more familiar with the 1 Corinthians 13 section on love. Also, wonderful. But this is the stuff that comes after it. Uh, love never dies. Inspired speech will be over someday. Praying in tongues will end. Understanding will reach its limit. But we know only a portion of the truth. And what we say about God is always incomplete. But when the complete arrives, our incompletes will be canceled. When I was an infant at my mother's breast, I gurgled and cooed like any infant. And when I grew up, I left those infant ways for good. We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. And we'll see it all then. And see it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly, just as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us toward that consummation. Trust steadily in God, hope unswervingly, love extravagantly, and the best of the three is love. And so, what I was hoping we could do <laughs> is um, <laughs> uh, do some talking, have a conversation about what you might be hoping for, um, and then do some praying together in that. And hopefully that feels um, like something you'd be willing to share. Um, so if we do, if we sit into some small groups of maybe four people, it would be nice. Um, and what are you hoping that God will start or finish or redeem or fix? Um, and we can, you can take some time to pray with that small group in that. And then when we ask for your attention again, um, we'll come back as a whole community. And I was wondering if you wanted to share what you gleaned from that small conversation um, and maybe about what you know about God and hoping for things.